Traditional Buddhism talks a lot about suffering. In fact, these days in particular, it's not at all hard to understand and to know with a deep knowing that there is a lot of sorrow in this world and that we humans are suffering and are the cause of much suffering. But what about joy? In the midst of all this pain, can we focus on joy for a moment? The idea for this talk came simultaneously, or really synchronistically, from two sources. First, I have been struggling with rediscovering the joy in my daily practice, and I realized that it might be a good topic for a Dharma talk. Then about a week later, as these things happen, Reverend Wang Gong listed some suggestions for talks, one of them being, talk about the meaning of your Dharma name. My Dharma name is Wan He, Joy on the Path. More specifically, joy on the journey toward realization of the truth, joy of the beginner's mind, joy of accepting my original true nature. So here I am today, sharing with you some of my thoughts about joy and my Buddhist practice. So what is joy? It is hard to pin down, but it's generally thought to be something beyond happiness, beyond general contentment. It involves an element of surprise, something you're not necessarily anticipating. It can be subtle or bold. There are different ways that joy can manifest. There's the joy that comes through our senses. We hear a sublime piece of music and our arms get goosebumps. We read a poem that elicits a feeling of transcendence. We smell the crush of pine needles as we walk in a forest and are lifted up. We look into someone's eyes and see the sparkle. There's also joy that's inwardly born. This type is harder, actually impossible to describe. It seemingly comes out of nowhere, hits us from above or from deep within. It's not dependent on the external world or the conditions we find ourselves in. There seems to be no easy explanation of how or why it arose. Master Sotesan described this state as ultimate bliss, a place where suffering and happiness are transcended. In an article called Joy as a Radical Act, Scott Tusa contrasts everyday happiness that is dependent on conditions with sustainable joy that with practice we can all uncover. It may be hidden, but it's available to all of us. And since it's not dependent on material consumption and therefore limited in the amount available, there's enough to go around. I asked some Dharma buddies to describe their own experiences of joy, and here are some of their responses. Our discriminating, busy mind is suddenly stilled. A door is opened and we see God. It's a personal experience, not something that others would necessarily recognize as eliciting bliss. Joy is both stronger and more fleeting than happiness. My heart bursts out. My whole body and spirit are smiling. It's a beaming of light. When there's someone with me, there is spontaneous, unabashed hugging. No words are needed. 
The experience of joy takes me completely unawares, without the time to form a judgment. It is just a pure response from my purest self, just as if I had touched a flame or eaten a scotch bonnet chili pepper. (laughs) When I received my Dharma name, I was truly experiencing the joy of beginner's mind, of one who has had her eyes open to this new path, this new way of living in the world, and I was so excited and energized. My mind was exploding with joy. But now, after a few years of practice, my beginner's mind has taken a back seat, and I miss it. When I think about wanting to get that feeling back, I can hear an inner voice saying, don't be so shallow. Be content with what you have. You have more than enough. Focusing on your own joy is frivolous. But is it frivolous to focus on joy? In my readings for this talk, the answer to that seems to be simply no. (laughs) If we are not open to bliss, we might have a tendency to take ourselves too seriously. And when we practice with a kind of grim determination, this is the point at which joy departs. So, we open up to the idea that joy is not only possible, even in the midst of pain, it's a fundamental part of living in this world. Many Buddhists consider joy to be one of the seven factors of awakening. These seven factors are accessible to all of us. Mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. Buddhists aim to develop all seven in order to be free from attachments. Some traditions see these factors as leading to awakening, and others see them as happening at the same time. In either case, joy is an integral part, or even a required part, of becoming awakened. So excellent news, it's okay to talk about joy in the practice. This leads me to the next question. Is it okay to strive for joy? Like all states of mind, joy is transient. We may have only a few seconds to appreciate it, and then it's gone. When we think back about how we felt, we naturally want to get that feeling back again. Yet we know that counting on a particular outcome or feeling can lead to disappointment. There are times when it would be natural to experience joy. For example, we might expect to feel joy when we finish our education after years of hard work. Yet, as we walk on stage to receive our diploma, our minds are busy, 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 thinking, don't trip, don't trip, don't trip. (laughs) Do I shake hands first or do I get the diploma? And our eyes are scanning the audience for family. Our minds are so busy that there's no room for joy to arise. You can't force joy. So I've concluded, at least for myself, that it's really not okay to strive for joy, to chase it. But what is okay, and what's actually necessary for a well-balanced practice, is to cultivate joy, or cultivate the environment that permits joy to arise. Is it possible to create such an environment in our minds and in our external circumstances? Could we perhaps look at it sideways without a specific outcome in mind? Let's talk about some methods for preparing the ground for joy to grow. First, 
of course, meditation. Meditation seems to be the answer for so many of our questions about how to live a balanced life. Meditation helps us calm our mind and clear out negative thoughts. By calming our mind and body, slowing our breathing, taking time to pause, we open the way for more positive emotions such as gratitude and loving kindness. In that article on radical joy, the author encourages us to give space to the painful things during meditation, both physical and emotional. As they arise, just let them be. Don't avoid them and don't cling to them. We could then begin to meet our own suffering without shame or judgment, and self-compassion arises naturally. We see and accept our own true nature With that acceptance, joy is uncovered. We can then extend that joy out into the world and act with compassion to others. Another way to cultivate joy during our day is noticing our thoughts and emotions. Most of us seem to have a natural negative attentional bias, meaning we selectively attend to the negatives, the problems, the things we need to fix. That might make evolutionary sense, when being able to scan for danger or problems was a matter of life or death. But at this point, most of us live pretty safely, and we could stand to tone down that negative attention and dial up some positive attention. Negative attentional bias is really hard habit to break, but I'm determined to spend at least as much time thinking about my accomplishments as I do about my deficits. We'll see how that goes. What are your negative filters? Do you read too much about politics and war, going down that rabbit hole of stories that elicit anger and sorrow and helplessness? Are you harder on yourself than you are on others? Or maybe you hear criticism from someone when in fact something else is going on. In preparing for this talk, I came across a quote. It's important to remember that in addition to the 10,000 sorrows in this world, there are also 10,000 joys. By noticing our thoughts and gently guiding them throughout the day, we're cultivating a more wholesome state of mind. This led me to another idea for cultivating joy, journal writing. Every morning I complete my checklist, marking the things that I did and did not do on the previous day. So one day I might check a 30-minute meditation, three miles of walking, eating fruits and vegetables, etc. That's a pretty good day. The next day I may do no meditation, only a little walk and eat junk food. (laughs) Not a good day. Regardless of good or bad, I always focus on what I did poorly and rarely take time to congratulate myself or even acknowledge what I did well. So I wondered, Is this checklist actually not good practice for me anymore? I finally decided that the checklist is still beneficial for me, in that it reminds me to pay attention to my goals. So I'll keep doing it. But I think what I can change in my practice is to remember to look at the positive side too, every day, along with the stuff I need to improve. Another way to practice joy is to express our happiness with other people's good fortune. This can be quite difficult, 
especially if we feel we're in competition with them. So we can start small. We can start noticing when someone gets a promotion or is expecting a child or wins an award. And if it's appropriate, we can give them our best wishes. Why not be happy for them? What harm can it do? After all, there's not a limited amount of joy for us to spread out into the world, right? There are many kinds of joy in this world, so let's find it whenever and wherever we can. In Buddhist practice, joy is usually seen as a profound experience, transcending happiness and sorrow and all dualistic concepts. Yet we experience while we are living in this dusty world. Joy can arise from meditation. It could arise from struggle. It comes naturally from a deep sense of accepting and embracing our original true nature. So whether we feel transcendent when we scruff our feet through the autumn leaves, or when we hear Gregorian chants sung by a boy's choir, or if joy just pops up suddenly with no discernible cause, Let's incline our minds to that which brightens our spirit. Let's allow joy. <laughs>